Hebrews chapter 11. We're getting close to finishing up, going through the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter 11 is probably the most well-known passage in the book of Hebrews. While a lot of the book of Hebrews is avoided like the plague by a lot of Baptists because they don't know how to explain it or it just refutes uh, their dispensational teachings or whatever. Hebrews chapter 11 is one that most people are usually uh, fine with. Uh, preaching on even dispensational preachers, you know, because it is about faith. If they're preaching a message on faith, they'll use Hebrews chapter eleven. If they're preaching a message on uh, dispensationalism or dispensational salvation, they got to stay away from Hebrews chapter eleven as far as they can because it refutes a lot of that. But before we start reading Hebrews chapter eleven, one thing we need to remember in order to get the context of Hebrews chapter eleven and what it's talking about is we got to remember how chapter ten. Ended. And so look at what it says in verse 36. It says, For ye have need of patience, of chapter 10, after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Okay? So right there, he's talking about basically, you know, just hanging on. All right? We talked about it last week. Just doing the right thing. The Lord is going to... He's coming back. Okay? That promise is... The promises he made, they're going to be fulfilled. You just got to hang on. And the just shall live by faith. He brings that up at the end of the chapter. And so when he gets into chapter 11, it's all about faith. Okay? He's just encouraged them at the end of the chapter, to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And this is, this is one of the most well-known uh, passages in the Bible, or from, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, one of the most well-known chapter. And it's probably one of the most well-known passages in the Bible about faith. It's just all about faith throughout the whole thing. And so at the end of chapter 10, he's just in, telling them to be patient, wait for the promises of God. He's encouraging them to continue doing the right thing, because it's not always easy doing the right thing. And then he quoted the Old Testament. Okay, remember that was from Habakkuk two, uh, chapter two, where it mentions the just shall live by faith. And what's interesting, you know, the word faith, it's in the Bible two hundred and forty-seven times. But you know how many times it's in the Old Testament? Two times. Okay, now there's words like faithful and faithfulness. So that's not necessarily the same thing. The word faith, it's only used in the Old Testament two times. Okay, so and remember throughout the book, throughout the book of Hebrews, he's been trying to get them to, you know, make that next step to cross over Jordan, figuratively speaking, and to move on and to get on board with this, uh, you know, this new era that they are in. Forgetting about this, you know, leaving behind the sacrifices and all those other things. He's been encouraging them to do that. But at the same time, what else has he been doing throughout the entire book of Hebrews? He's constantly going back to the Old Testament, quoting Old Testament scriptures to show them you're not forsaking anything. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. You're being loyal to the Word of God. You're being loyal to the Old Testament by following after Jesus Christ. And while he, what he's telling them here in the end of the chapter 10, saying the just shall live by faith. Now, you and I, we're used to hearing about faith, Okay. That's all we've ever heard our entire lives. It's about faith, faith, faith. But that's not a sentence 
that they were used to hearing that much because the word faith is only in the Old Testament two times. It's in Habakkuk 2.4 and then Deuteronomy 32.20 And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be for they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. Talking about the children of Israel. Talking about how they don't have any faith. And was that not always Israel's problem? They didn't want to have faith. Even after Jesus Christ came, we see that they fell. They were stumbling at that stumbling stone. They, they wanted to receive righteousness by the works of the law and not by faith. And you know what? They didn't get it. But the Gentiles, which sought not after righteousness, they did obtain righteousness. Why? Because they sought it by faith, but the Jews didn't. They sought it by the works of the law. So the writer of Hebrews, he knows that you know this living by faith may be a tough thing for the Hebrews to understand, but he's showing them that while the, you know, while, while the word itself is only used two times in the Old Testament, living by faith is all over the Old Testament. And that's all Hebrews chapter 11 is, is he's giving example after example of people they knew, of stories they knew, of people who lived by faith, who practiced faith. And so it's important too that we need one thing we need to understand about Hebrews chapter eleven is that not every mention of faith in here is just about faith for salvation. Okay, this chapter eleven is not just telling us how everyone got saved. Okay, look at what it says. Let's jump to verse thirty-two before we start reading through Hebrews eleven. I want you to see this before we start going through here. It says, "And what shall I more say? The time would fail." me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in flight, and fight, turned to flight the enemies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. So you see there that faith, it does more than just gets us saved, doesn't it? Faith in Christ is what gets us saved, but faith in Christ is not the only thing that there is. You know, we need to have faith across the board. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. We ought to live by faith. As saved people, faith ought to be a daily part of our life. You know, we don't, we're not supposed to just get saved just to have faith in Christ, get saved, and then just never do anything after that. We ought to have faith all the time. Everything we ought to do ought to be by faith. And while there are examples in here of people who got saved by faith, and Abraham is one of those examples that it gives, not everything that it talks about in here is about salvation. Because then you'll have the works crowd that will look and will, you know, it's like they'll pull an example out of here of somebody who had faith, and then it will show the work that they did. But wait a minute, what, work, what did that work accomplish? Did it accomplish salvation? Or did it cause them to defeat their enemy? You know, and that's what you have to look at. But based Hebrews chapter 11, it's not all about salvation. It's just showing the Hebrews that faith, living by faith, is not a new thing. This is the way it's always been. So let's go ahead and start reading Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Okay, that passage right there you know, is what it's saying. You know, the evidence that a person 
is going to get what they are hoping for is their faith. Okay? I have... Alright, so what, what are we all hoping for as Christians today? We're all hoping for salvation, right? Okay? Physically, there is no evidence that we're saved. Okay, now a lot of preachers, they always want to talk about the evidence you're saved. You know, the fact you're sitting in here tonight, that's evidence you're saved. All those who aren't here tonight, I wonder about them, you know? And I listen to I listen to preachers just today saying a bunch of that stuff. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? You know, you're you're using works to prove whether or not someone is saved, and you know, and then he's butchering James two to do it. And right here, I know this wording might seem a little weird, but I mean, look what now faith is the substance of things hoped for. All right, we have a blessed hope, a hope that we're going to be like Christ one of these days. Okay, so how do I know? What is something I can look at so I can know whether or not you've got that? You, you've got that coming. How, what's something I can see in your life to prove to me that you're saved? Your faith. What is your faith in? You know, when we go out soul winning and we knock at people's doors, you know what we, we ask them? We ask them, how do you know you're going to heaven? Why do we do that? We're trying to see where their faith is. You know what we don't do? We don't ask them, when was the last time you went to church? Have you ever killed anybody? Have you turned your life around? Have you repented of your sins? We don't do that. We specifically ask them, how do you know where you're going to spend eternity? What does a person have to do to be saved? We ask them those questions because we're looking for substance. We're looking for something to show whether or not they're saved. And what are we looking for? We're looking for faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And look at this. For by it, the uh, uh, elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Okay, now let's think about this one for a second. Let's look at what it says here. All right. Okay, we believe by faith everything we see came from what we cannot see, right? Okay? We believe God spoke everything into existence. Okay? By faith, through faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So that the things which are not seen are not made of things which do appear. So it only makes sense that if we're going to claim that we have something that can't be seen that the evidence that we have it would be faith, right? Okay, we're, we're saying we've got salvation. We're saying we have eternal life. That's something that comes from God, okay? Salvation is something that comes from God. It doesn't come from the works of the law. It doesn't come from the blood of bulls and goats and things like that. We saw that it comes, this is the gift of God. It's something that comes from Him. And the Bible is very clear that we receive it by faith. We don't receive it through church attendance. We don't receive it through baptism. We don't receive it through any of those things. We receive it by faith, okay? What we have... The salvation that we have did not come from anything that is on this planet right now. It came from Jesus Christ, who is in heaven right now. And so, the thing that we're going to look for, the evidence of our salvation, okay, the physical evidence of my salvation is in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is in the work of Jesus Christ. 
But I can't show that to you. So all I can do as a Christian is I can profess my faith to you. And that's all that we really have that we can look for in people is we got to find out where their faith is at. And you know what's sad about these preachers that are preaching this junk like I listened to this morning is the fact that their people in their churches are always getting saved over and over again. Every time they have a revival meeting, half their church is getting saved because these people can't figure out if they're saved. You know why? Because if you ask these people, how do you know you're saved? They want to talk about their changed life. They want to talk about their works. And if they talk about their changed life, if they're just honest and not a stinking hypocrite for two seconds, they'll realize they haven't really changed that much. And depend, and you know, what makes them, what determines how convicted they get about, about their sins, it all depends on how good the preacher is on giving out a guilt trip. On how holy the preacher appears to be from behind the pulpit. And it's sad, it's false salvation, it's false gospel, it's heresy in, it, in its worst form. Because of the fact that they still say, not of works, even though they are preaching works-based salvation. I would rather them just say, it's by works. I, but the fact that they lie about it, it's what makes it so deceptive. The way they twist these scriptures, and it makes me sick. I, 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 I hate seeing that, and it breaks my heart, some of the people doing it. And it, it, it's a joke. But right there, the Bible makes it very clear what faith is talking about. And that's something we've got. You know, our faith, the faith that brings salvation, it's in something that can't be seen. All right? The things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. And so then it goes and he starts giving examples. And we're, gonna, and we're just going to go through a lot of these quickly. It says, by, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So right here, we see without faith, you can't please God. And we can't, we cannot please God without faith. And you know what else? We can't please God with our works. Look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed, uh, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And you know what's sad about this is in you know in Abraham's one we're going to see here too. All right, and you know Brother Gomez, man, Brother Gomez, he was one of my favorites growing up. But I, I did I, I listened to him preach on James two again, and I've heard him preach this message so many times. But he talks about Abraham being justified by works from James two, even though the Bible mentions over and over again Abraham was not justified by works. When it came to salvation, that's mentioned several times, but yet in James 2, when it's not talking about being justified to God, because we can't be justified to God through our works, it's talking about being justified to man, he, want, he took that and made it about salvation and then turned that and it's like all these people who say they're saved and don't have works, they have dead faith. That is so wrong. Okay, I agree that faith without works is dead, but faith that brings salvation is is faith in the work of Jesus Christ. So you know what? I don't have a dead faith. And my salvation 
was without works to him that worketh not, but believeth. I was specifically told from the word of God to, in order to get salvation, I had to receive the free gift. It's very clear in the Bible that if I add any works to it, that it's not of grace. And I, therefore, I am not saved. The only way I can get saved by grace through faith is if I don't work for it and I just put my faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. And that is exactly how you do it. And to come along and tell somebody because you don't have works, you're not really saved, that just butchers the plan of salvation. And it blows my mind that this is going on and how people can preach that at a big national conference and preachers will be amening and not walking out of the place. Why isn't there a riot going on when somebody is getting and preaching something like that? We ought to know better than that. But unfortunately, people just aren't seeing it. And it's sad. It breaks my heart. And we cannot please God with our works. We can only please Him by our faith. But... That's not what's being taught, apparently, in a lot of places today. I'm telling you, man, the falling away is real. And it is happening. And when that kind of thing can be preached in a conference full of preachers, and there's not a riot, in fact, there's amening, something is scary wrong. I mean, scary wrong when that kind of thing is going on. So, uh, let's keep going through chat. We've got a lot to cover here. Verse 7, By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place, which he should after uh, receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had a foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude, and as the sandwiches by the seashore, innumerable, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and then confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So notice here, he's, once again, he's given an example. He's telling them all the big stories, all the big stories that they knew. He's still in the book of Genesis, just showing faith, 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 faith. This is not a new thing. And the writer of Hebrews is showing how the Old Testament saints were, uh, you know, by faith, understood that this world was not all that there was. Okay? Abraham understood that. They were, he wasn't just looking for that physical land of Israel. He was looking for that heavenly country. That's what he was looking for. That's what he wanted. They, and these people, they obeyed God till the end. Okay, and some received the promises on earth. Some never saw those promises fulfilled. And this is one of the amazing things about the Old Testament saints. We're going to see some more of this later on. The fact that they had faith and they believed God with so little. They didn't have the completed scriptures like we do. So, yeah, some of them saw some miracles, but you all realize that was like one event in a hundred year lifetime. You know, that's that's not much. But it didn't, it, it, it didn't take much for these people. Why? Because they had great faith. 
Look what it says in verse 14. For they say, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better country. That is, an heavenly country, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And what city do you think that is that God prepared for them? The New Jeru- Wait a minute. New Jerusalem. That's for the Baptists, right? You know, that, that's, for, that's for the church. Because the church is the bride, right? Okay, well, according to the Baptist brides, well, let's look at Revelation chapter 21 and what it shows us the bride, all right? Revelation 21, 4, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And if you jump down to verse 9, it says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked to me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife, and it's talking about that city. Okay? That city. That holy city, New Jerusalem, that is the city. And guess who God promised that city to? God promised it to the Old Testament saints. But it is. It's us too. You know why? Because we're all one body. God has made us both one. Talking about Israel of the Old Testament and the church of the New Testament. I know that kills dispensationalism again, but I just can't help it. The Bible does. Hebrews destroys it. Ephesians destroys that. And that city that they were looking for was the, the holy city, New Jerusalem. We know about that. We know when it's going to come. They didn't know that. They didn't really know what, you know, they didn't understand exactly what they were looking for. But you know what? God told Abraham, leave the land of your fathers. Go to the land that I tell you to go to. And Abraham went to that land. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what was going to happen. But God made promises to Abraham. And against hope, Abraham still believed God. And we're going to see some of these examples here in a little bit, just showing Abraham, I mean, the one they held in the highest regard was just a man who was full of faith. And God has named those of us who are of faith, you know, children of Abraham because he's, he's looked at as the father of faith because he was such a great example. He wasn't the first person to ever have faith. You know, mentioned Abel had faith. But boy, nobody had faith like Abraham that you see in the Bible. And so, um, look at what it says in verse... 17 says by faith Abraham when he was tried offered up Isaac and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure okay now go over to Romans chapter 4 and verse 7 I love what this passage right here says now it said right there in Hebrews that Abraham, okay, God promised Abraham that he was going to multiply his seed, right? And God promised that he was going to do that through Isaac. And Abraham, as his manner was, believed God. Then God comes along before Isaac's had any children and he tells him to kill your son. 
And Abraham's being obedient, doing it. Now, if it had been me, I'd have been like, wait a minute, no, I'm just crazy. I didn't hear God right. Something's wrong because I know it's not God's will for me to kill Isaac because God told me he's going to multiply him as the stars of heaven. And if I kill him, that can't happen. So, sorry, God, I'm crazy. You know, you're okay. I'm, you know, that, that's what I, I probably would have done. But Abraham had such great faith, he believed that if he killed his son, God would raise him from the dead. Now, you and I, we, yeah, God could have done that. But wait a minute. At that point, had God ever raised anybody from the dead? No. No one had ever been raised from the dead at that point. Abraham had so much faith in God, Abraham believed God could raise somebody from the dead before God had ever raised anybody from the dead. Before God ever promised to raise anybody from the dead, that's the kind of faith that Abraham had. Abraham, I'm telling you, anytime you think you're a person of faith, you know, just go read about Abraham and you're going to realize, I don't have that much faith. Abraham blows us all away. But look at Romans chapter 4, okay? Because this here is going back to when Abraham got saved. Abraham did not get saved when he offered up his son Isaac, okay? He was justified by his works to man when he offered up his son Isaac. That's something that you and I can look back on and say, yes, and he was a man of faith because we can see his works, okay? But Abraham clearly got saved years and years before that. And I wish Brother Gomez would have read Romans chapter 4 before he preached what he did. But it's too late. He's preached that message so many times. I've heard him in person do it three times. I don't think he's going to change it. No matter what the, you show him in the Bible. But anyway, look what it says in Romans 4 verse 7. It says, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man under whom the Lord will not impute sin. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in verse uh, 17, I said. Verse 17, I'm sorry. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall I seed thee. And being not weak in the faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And wherefore, it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Okay, so note, when Abraham got saved, the Bible is very clear in Genesis, I think it was when he was 75 years old, when God told him to go into another land and God told him that he was going to multiply his seed. Okay? That's when he got saved and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. It's spelled out in the Old Testament. Abraham got saved years and years before Isaac was even born. And Isaac was a grown man when Abraham went to sacrifice him. Abraham was saved years before that. But here in Romans 4, it's talking about Abraham and his faith. And I love what it says. Here he is in a situation where it's impossible for, physically impossible, for God's promises to be fulfilled. But it says Abraham staggered not. He wasn't hesitant. He didn't, he didn't doubt. Okay? Now how many of us before, whenever we've been in a situation where we've needed faith, we stagger quite a bit. I mean, we're, we're constantly you know, hesitating and wondering and second guessing. Here you've got Abraham... You know, he, every birthday, you know, his wife had to be looking at him like, I don't know, you know, you, you got another year older, Abraham, and still no son. 
You know, I'm another year older and still no son. I mean, and then I forgot how old Abraham was when he when he came to him the one time and Sarah laughed. And then it was like God teach him a lesson. Waited even longer, several years later. Oh, you don't think I can do it now? I'm going to teach you faith. I'll show you. I'll make you wait several more years. You know, that's why we just need to have faith now. Okay, I'm going to be preaching Sunday about waiting and stuff like that. You know what? Let's just have faith now. Otherwise, God's going to teach us faith by making us waiting. I hate waiting. All right? So just have faith. Have faith right now. But here we, we see, though, I mean, Abraham, he was, he was not weak in the faith. He was strong. He didn't stagger. He just believed. And it's, it's just it's amazing when you read that. I, I love Romans 4. I love what Hebrews 11 is saying about Abraham. And so uh, he is he's an example of one who, in that story, in the one story mentioned there in Hebrews, he had received part of the promise, the first part. He had a son. He had Isaac. But there was still more to the promise. God was going to multiply him as the stars of heaven. Did Abraham ever see that? No, Abraham did not see that. Abraham did not live to see that promise. And yet... Even before that promise was fulfilled, he was still willing to be obedient to God and kill his son, believing God could raise him from the dead before God's ever raised anybody from the dead. That ought to put every one of us to shame. That, my friends, is faith and nothing else. So even though the word is faith, faith is only mentioned in the Old Testament two times, he's showing them here in Hebrews, man, faith is all over the Old Testament. And especially in our, one of our favorite people, Abraham. And Abraham was one of the favorites of the Jews of the Old Testament. And you know who the next one was? Moses. And look what it says in verse 18. Or, um, lost my spot. I'm, I'm still in Romans. Back to Hebrews 11 in verse 19, or verse 20. Oh, boy, I keep losing my spot. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worship, leaning on the, upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. I wish I had time to go through all these things too, just to show how great faith it was. Okay, you know that what just that one right there with Joseph, you know that was a prophecy God gave him, and he was so sure God was going to deliver them, he gave him instruction: "You carry my bones out too." It was, you know, and some of these might seem like little things, some are big things, but he's just showing faith, faith, faith throughout the Bible. And then, then Moses, all right, look at verse 23, um, says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, because he hid three months, uh, it was hid three months of his parents because they thought he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, fearing the wrath of the king, not fearing the wrath of the, of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Notice a couple things about Moses. Okay, first of all, Moses. He was willing to forsake the riches of Egypt. Why? Because he had faith of better things to come. Well, where, where do you get that from? Jesus hadn't preached that verse about lay up your treasures in heaven yet. He hadn't read the verses that Paul wrote about the judgment seat of Christ and everybody being rewarded. He hadn't heard, the, Jesus hadn't spoken the words yet about those who were forsaken father and mother and house and land receiving a hundredfold. Moses hadn't heard any of those things. Yet Moses, he esteemed the reproach of Christ 
greater riches. Now, what did the dispensationalists do with that? Well, they didn't know anything about Jesus. He esteemed the reproach of Christ. Greater riches. Who else is Christ other than Jesus Christ? Okay? He had faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, they, they didn't know the name of Jesus. You show me the name of Jesus. And they had faith in what had been revealed to them. They had, revealed, they had faith in a coming Messiah. And that coming Messiah just happened to be Jesus Christ. They had faith in God. God was Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It, right there is just more proof of the same salvation in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. And right, right there is one of the greatest proofs that I've never heard any dispensationalist try to explain. Why does it say Christ? Right there. You know, it shouldn't have said of God. But no, it says Christ. Very, very specifically. And you know, there's nothing you can do with that. Okay? I've read a lot of books by Rucktards and things, and I've seen them create, I've seen them twist things in very creative ways, but I don't know what they're going to do with that. There is nothing you can do with that except enter a new level of stupidity. And you say that can't happen. That can't, you can't get any more stupid. Man, I, I've thought that before, but every time I think you can't get any more stupid, they surprise me. And they, they go down another level into the deep abyss of stupidity that they are trapped in right now. But anyway, so he did, he's seen the reproach of Christ. Greater riches. So, and then look at verse 28. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. And the Egyptians that said to do were drowned. The saying do were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, Rahab, uh, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. So notice how he's just kind of chronologically just going through the stories, just going through the Old Testament, and it's like finally, it's like, you know what? I haven't got time to tell you all the stories. You know, I'm getting tired of writing. I haven't got enough paper. Just go back and read the Old Testament. Time would fail me to tell of all the examples in the Old Testament of people who did great things by faith. What's he telling them here? He's telling them faith isn't a new thing. This is not a new thing. This is what you all heard in Sunday school all your life. You know these stories and there is nothing else we can call what these men of the past did, what the elders of the past did, other than faith. And so don't be surprised when preachers like me are coming along and telling you you're saved by grace through faith and without works. You should be surprised by that. This is about faith. The just live by faith. And he spent the first parts of the, of the book kind of focusing on salvation. The first chapters are kind of focusing on salvation. And it's all about ceasing from their labors. But then if you remember, I forgot what chapter it was. He's like, all right, we've got all that established. Now we're going to move on into perfection. Okay, now we're talking to the saved people. 
Now we're talking, you know, now we're talking to the saved people, we're talking to the church. This is some stuff you're supposed to do. And one of the things you're supposed to do is you're supposed to live by faith and do great things through faith, accomplish great things through faith. And so he's showing this group that what we are about to, what we are, I'm trying to get you all to enter into. We're not going to forget about those, those things we learned in the past. We're not going to forget about our fathers. We're going to keep telling those stories. Why? Because those stories apply. We can learn from those stories today. And don't we do that all the time? We go and I preach and I tell stories about things in the Old Testament. And we learn from their examples. We learn from their victories. We learn from their mistakes. And we show how they had faith. And we apply that in our lives today. We're not going to forget those old, uh, the Old Testament saints and the things that they did in the past. But notice too, when he's talking about all these things they went through, and he mentions some horrible things that they went through. He talks about some great things like women receiving their dead raised to life again. But then he says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, I could probably preach a whole message on this, but I'm going to try to just hit on this briefly. But what is, what is this talking about here when it talks about a better resurrection? Well, just real quickly, I'll show you a few scriptures that I think it's talking about. Because, yes, we are all saved by grace through faith. There's no doubt about that, okay? But, do and we talked about this some on Sunday, do we not need to do works after salvation? Now, why do we do those? We do those for rewards, okay? We do those because we want, we want this is our chance to prove ourselves. This is our chance to set ourselves up for Christ's kingdom, Okay? And as much as these, you know, old IFB people want to act like people that, you know, get saved when we're out soul winning aren't really saved because they don't go to church and start tithing, okay, those people are saved, okay? And it is horrible heresy to say that they're not because they don't ever go to church and start tithing and, you know, completing their checklist that they have of things that they want everyone who gets saved to do. Those people are still saved, but we want to do these things now because we want a better resurrection, don't we? Because this life is not all there is. There is a kingdom that's coming. And I want to do something in that kingdom. I want to do something great in that kingdom. Well, if I'm going to do something great in that kingdom, I've got to do something great now. And look what it says in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. This is talking about the rapture. And at that time, Michael shall stand up, the archangel, and the great prince would stand up for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble. I let us talk about the tribulation, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Okay? During that time of trouble, okay, we're going to get delivered. How does that happen at the rapture? Okay? And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And, that, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. You all see that? Those who turn many to righteousness. Okay? Well, how do we turn people to righteousness? We've got to point them to Jesus Christ, don't we? We've got to get them saved. That's, that is called soul winning right there. Those who turn many to right, righteousness, those people are going to shine like the stars. Now, is everybody who gets saved going to shine like the stars? Well, here's the thing. Not all stars shine the same, do they? Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just also happens to be another passage where we see the rapture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 
and uh, verse 40 says, There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Y'all see that? So right there, and then it goes on later, and it talks about the rapture. We shall not all sleep, and we shall all be changed. Not all stars shine the same. Well, do you want to shine bright in the resurrection, or do you want to be a dim light? I would like to shine bright. So what do I need to do? I need to turn many to righteousness. I need, I need to do right. You know what I need to do? I need to have faith. I need to endure. I need to do great things. And I might need to even do some really serious, hardcore suffering. And you know what? This is another subject. But if we really, really want to shine bright, I mean really shine bright, the best opportunity to shine brightly will be in the tribulation. I mean, if we're really interested in that, if we're really interested in the millennium, if we're really interested in the life that's after this one, we ought to be cheering on the tribulation, you know? And, and, and don't take that the wrong way, man. But, you know, but you know, I want to shine bright. That's going to be a great opportunity. Now, you don't have to have tribulation shine bright. You know, do it right now. Have faith. Just do whatever, you know, do whatever you can. But oh, there's just something about tribulation that is lights a fire under people. And you don't have to have tribulation to shine bright and to turn many to righteousness. But I do think that that time is going to turn out some great soul winners. And, so, and, and it's, going to, it's going to be a great time. And I don't want to miss out on it. I, I'd, kind of like, I'd kind of like to be around for that. And so uh, that's what it's talking about there when it talks about they wanted to obtain a better resurrection. These people had faith. They understood that, hey... I'm going to get 70, 80 years out of this life. Why in the world would I compromise so I can hang on to a few more years? I would rather die. I would rather even suffer so I can shine brighter in the resurrection because you know what? That's going to be forever. But you know what? Where is where's the physical evidence of that? Where's the physical evidence of the New Jerusalem? Where's the physical evidence that I can show you of the resurrection? I don't have it. All we have is faith. And you know what? We ought to thank God for that. We ought to thank God for the fact, for this opportunity that we have to serve God when we've never seen Him face to face. We've never been, able, we've never got to look at Him face to face. We've not seen the miracles. We haven't seen Him walk on the water. We haven't seen the nail prints in His hands. We haven't seen any of those things. And you know what? We ought to say good because of the fact that you know what? Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. This gives us a better opportunity than even what the disciples had who were actually there and actually saw these things. If we go and we do the works of the disciples having never met Jesus face to face, we've shown more faith. We've pleased God even more. This is a great opportunity that we have. We shouldn't be like, oh, you know, I, I can't wait to serve Him in the millennium. Okay? No, our attitude should be Man, I need to hurry up and serve him before the millennium. Right now, I need to do something so I can shine bright when that day comes. And so, many, um, lost my spot there. So, you know, in verse 30, or go ahead and look at verse 39. 
Or you know what? Matthew 5.19, I forgot to do that one. This is a very important verse. Matthew 5.19. Say, ah, I think we're all going to be the same. I think we're all going to be the same. I don't think it's fair. One shines brighter than the other. Well, first of all, if we were to pick who's going to shine the brightest, we're going to get it wrong. Okay? We can't accurately judge that. Okay? The Bible teaches to whom much is given, much is required. All right? I think God expects... You know, more from me who grew up in the home of an independent fundamental Baptist pastor than somebody who grew up in the home of a drunk. All right? So, uh, a lot more is expected of me. More is expected of you. You all go to a church like this one that preaches the truth. God expects more from you than he does from lame, watered-down NIV church uh, members. Okay? God's going to expect more from you. But at the same time, you know, let's not throw away the good things that we have. You know, given to us. You know, let, let's use this. Let's take advantage of them. But Matthew five nineteen says, "Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven." Does it sound like we're all equal in the kingdom of heaven? No. Okay, Pastor Skinny Jeans in the liberal church is always just looking for every excuse he can to not obey the things in the Bible, who's always trying to throw out all the Old Testament. Pastor Trendy, who's even trying to throw out the Sermon of the Mount today. These guys that are doing that, these people are going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. But those who are preaching the whole counsel of God, like they're supposed to, those who are actually rightly dividing the word of truth, and not just saying they're rightly dividing the word of truth, they will be greater. Not just those who taught it, but you've got to do it and teach it. Doing it and teaching it, that is, what, that is what the Bible teaches. So look what it says in verse 39. Hebrews 11, verse 39. Or, um, no, verse 36, I'm sorry. I'm skipping, skipping stuff here. Verse 36 says, they were, um, And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. That doesn't sound real exciting. Okay, but look what the Bible says. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And then verse 39. And these all having obtained a good report through faith received not the promise. Okay? Old Testament saints, they had faith even though they hadn't received a lot of these things. They didn't have the completed scriptures. The Messiah hadn't come yet. They're still sacrificing animals. And these people, with what little they had, they still died in faith. They didn't receive the land. They didn't receive the heavenly Jerusalem. They didn't receive those things. And yet they still had faith. And this is what's amazing about them. The fact that they believed God with such little information. Hebrews 10.26, we looked at last week, it says, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fire indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. God expects more from us. Okay, We don't sacrifice things anymore. We shouldn't need to do that. We have the truth revealed. Jesus Christ has come. The Messiah came. He paid for sins. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have received not all the promises that they were promised in the Old Testament, but we have received many of those things. And so for us 
to do some of the things they did back then is a much bigger deal. Okay? You got some of these goofballs out there, you know, this, you know, you know, how come David and Solomon got away with having so many wives, you know, blah, 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 you know, why didn't God care about that? And first of all, they didn't really get away with it, okay? And it caused them a ton of trouble. All right, we all learned from that, but why, why didn't God do anything about it? Well, I'm sure God helped with some of that trouble that came their way because of it. But at the same time, you know, for... Uh, and pastors do this Whenever pastors commit adultery and stuff like that, they always want to start talking about David. But you know what? The fact that you know about David makes you more accountable for what you just did. Did you not read what God did to David because he committed adultery? And you're going to bring up David and to justify your pathetic, wicked behavior? You're an idiot. And you know what? You are worse than David. Because of the fact that we have these commands that are very clear, you have the example of David, and you still go and commit adultery? And understand, God expects more. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. You've got the Old and New Testament. You've got these scriptures. For a pastor today to commit adultery, it's always been bad for anyone to commit adultery, but let me tell you, it's worse today than it was in David's day. And I believe God expects more. And any pastor that uses David as an excuse for his lack of self-control, I mean, he doesn't deserve to be in the ministry whether he, he makes excuses or not. You know, he, he needs to be history. He needs to be finished. And so, verse 40, look what it says. Or God, or let's read verse 39 again because so it kind of continues the thought. These all having obtained a good report through faith, Receive not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Okay? What is that better thing for us? Well, what was he talking about? I think it was two weeks ago in chapter 9. We got better promises. We got better sacrifices. We have a better high priest. Everything we have today is better, isn't it? Okay? All these people in the Old Testament, they had this great faith with all those things that were just shadows. And today, you know, it's not shadows anymore. We've got the color picture. Remember that? We've got the color picture. We have something so much better. We have something that is so much clearer. This is something that God has given to us. Many of those promises that God made to them, we have been the recipients of those things. And when it mentions, too, that they without us should not be made perfect, I think what verse 40 is saying is that is that better thing that God prepared for them was a more complete revelation. And, you know, when it says they without us should not be made perfect, it's referring to the fact that the continuation of things after the Messiah, okay, it's like a lot of them had this idea the Messiah was going to come and then boom, right into the kingdom. You know, it's all, it's all paradise now. But no, actually, it's very clear that us, this time we're in right now, it was necessary in order for the promises of the Old Testament to be fulfilled. You know why? Because if you go back and you look in the Old Testament, there's a lot of promises to the Gentiles, to the whole world. And so in order for those pro many of the promises that we see in the Old Testament to be fulfilled, okay, things couldn't have started right then when Jesus came back as the Messiah. The dispensational fact, like it would have happened then, if the Jews would have accepted him, but nope, God got double-crossed, 
They didn't, they didn't accept them, and so then God went to plan B, us. No, actually Hebrews 11, what it's saying right there, what the Bible teaches, is that they couldn't be made complete or made perfect you know, without us. We were necessary. This, this time, this era that we're in, people like us, the Gentiles, we were a necessary part of God's original plan A. There's, and there's no doubt about that, and there's, there's a million ways to prove that. So to sum up Hebrews 11, the writer's just making it very clear in this passage that faith is not a new thing. It's throughout the entire Old Testament. All the greats of the past, they were all saved by faith, and they all had great victories by faith. They all pleased God by faith. And we please God today by faith. And whatsoever is not a faith is sin. And we always need to remember that we are not just, we, we cannot please God without faith. And we can't please God with our works. And, that, and that's all there is to it. And so keep on having faith. Keep on trusting God. And expect God to do great things. And I'm going to be talking about this on Sunday. And when He doesn't do great things, when you think He's going to, you know what the attitude you ought to have? When God doesn't do things the way you thought. You know, we all, when we pray, we've all got a plan on how God's going to work everything out, don't we? Okay? i got some plans right now for what I'm expecting God to do right now in the next few weeks here at the church. Okay, I've got all kinds of great plans that I'm praying for. Right? That, that is like, man, Lord, if you're doing what I'm praying for, that's going to be great. Well, guess what? If God doesn't do any of it, you know what that means? That means, wow i got to have even more faith, which means eventually the payoff is going to be even better. That's the way we ought to look at it. When we don't get our prayers answered, man, God must really have something good because what I was expecting was going to be good, but he's not doing it yet. He's making me wait longer, which is going to require more faith, which means I'm going to get something even better. Wow, this is great. So, you know, that's why if we end, if our life ends being tortured, who's looking for that? Okay, but man... If, that, if that's how it ends for you, boy, it's really going to be good for you in the future. And so you know what? Enjoy it. Amen. Enjoy it. Be thankful for it. And isn't that exactly what Jesus said? Do you know, rejoice when those things happen. Because great is our reward in heaven, but you're going to have to have faith. You're, you're just going to have to believe what he says. And so Hebrews 11, great chapter on faith. So with that, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you. Lord, for the examples of faith. Lord, it's just amazing. I'm humbled as I read about these, these great men and women from the past and just the faith that they showed, Lord. And I, I, Lord, I pray that when we read Hebrews 11, we will be shamed by our lack of faith that we have. And I, I, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to live by faith and uh, that we'll show our faith and that we'll see great things, dear God, because uh, we trust in you. And Lord, I just pray that you'll uh, just... You know, make yourself more real in our life, and we'll uh, be like Abraham, Lord. We're not going to stagger at your promises, and I pray we'll see great things. In your name we pray. Amen. Well,